Hi everyone, it's Camille and Louise, your host of the Feminist Book Chat Paris, a podcast that explores the many faces of an intersectional feminism through literature. So, hi friend, how is confinement doing on your side? Hi, yeah, so day 11, day 11, which just kind of feels, you know, a bit surreal, like the days are going quite quickly. Um, Yeah, I think just uh we're we're well we're safe at this this end it's just me and and john in our house and i think you know like a lot of people it's about keeping some kind of routine you know some rhythm going um john's actually working a lot um at the moment um just because his work is linked to the health sector healthcare sector um so he's keeping busy and helping um which is really great but yeah I'm, I'm doing okay I think you know like we talk about um we were talking about just before kind of having creative outlets is really helping right now yeah I think we're very, very lucky both of yeah. us how about you friend uh doing good so I'm in the countryside uh in Dordogne with my family mm. and um it's been doing good trying to find new routines I basically freaked out a little bit because I only brought a few books in my suitcase living really fast uh, in the urgency so ordered some on La FNAC I know my heart was bleeding um but it was the only way for me to read uh yeah like at this time like you were saying a lot of the independent smaller bookshops that we we support like right now there a lot of them are, are not doing um delivery yeah they shut down they've shut down completely so yeah exactly so there's not much uh other solutions so oh well um so i bought uh quite a lot of books that i'll be talking about uh on our instagram account great as soon as possible okay and yes i've been reading quite a lot trying to like ration myself not to read too much and to keep some for the right. other days because we don't know how, how long it's gonna last absolutely but yeah we I know Lou and I really hope you guys are doing okay um that you find some distraction and some time for yourself yeah you know it, it can be quite hard definitely and also so, stay at home. Just stay at home. Yeah, stay at home, of as course. Much as you can. But I think everyone got the message now. Well, I, I think hope. so. Eleven days into confinement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty clear. So, friend, so, what have you been reading? Do you want to start us off with the first? Yay! Let's go. Okay. So, if you were lacking of interaction and more like entertaining things we have some book recos for you so first one that i've read this week is um it's called the apology it's wrote by ev ensler um honestly it was so overwhelming that as i said in one of our ig posts Uh, The words really failed me for a few hours after finishing it. I just read this book in a few hours. So you probably know the authors because uh, the author, sorry, because she um, created a theater piece in 1986 um, called The Vagina Monologues. Mm -hmm. And it works so well. It was translated into like 46 languages and performed in like 
more than 130 countries. So it's quite big. Yeah. And all throughout her life, uh, the body and the ownership uh, have been at the core of everything she produced. Right. Um, I've also learned, checking on her career, that she imposed conditions on the copy of the vagina monologues. So she would impose for every potential copy to be interpreted by women, um, to be playing on voluntary basis, and for the profit to be donated to NGO fighting against violence towards women. Mm. So pretty good feminist. And Mm -hmm. so last year, she published The Apology. So it's a book that has just been translated into French and it's a self-fiction which um, takes the form of a letter. So it's just one letter mm-hmm. of confession and apology that her own father wrote to her after he died. Wait, and so he did he... actually write the letter to her or no, it's the letter she, she imagines? It, yeah, it's the, yeah. the letter she imagines okay. and where he would recognize and repent for the incestuous rapes, the mistreatments and the humiliation that he inflicted her oh. since she was five years old. Oh so God. now she's uh, 66 years old and it's been 31 years of sexual, physical and moral abuse. Um, So all throughout her life, she has suffered the violence of a father who was definitely sociopathic, sadistic, and pedophile. Um, And the thing is, there was never an excuse, never regret. Um, Hate, just hate. He wanted Mm. to kill her. It was... It's very dramatic. It's very, very violent uh, to read. Uh, I can't imagine how it is to just live that. And... So the whole purpose of this is that since he died without ever saying a word, whether with like never asking for a chance for forgiveness mm. or, or to explain his behavior, she decided to make it up. And right. trust me, it is such an edifying story. It, like yeah. her strength, her, her courage is... Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I have a hard yeah. time finding words because sure. it's, it's so difficult. But I know she she dedicates the story to all the women that mm. are still waiting for an apology. And I think it's the funny thing around that is that we've been we've been used to say sorry and ask for forgiveness as women. We mm. always say sorry, mm. like way too much. Um, we're sorry for being this and that and not yeah. enough this or not enough that. Or too much but, this or too much that, you know? Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. And but, but when we're a victim of uh, abuse, uh, like sexist abuse, mm. um, there's really rarely excuse, like real regrets or real explanation of behavior, so. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, point in case, um, Harvey Weinstein, you know, who was very recently um, charged and sentenced, uh, Mm -hmm. received a prison sentence. And I mean, his inability to recognize you know and acknowledge what he did um is just yeah that's happening on so many levels isn't it it's basically men men in power or that patriarchal structure as you say it just kind of it seems like Eve Ensler really wrote this um not just for herself but for 
all the women out there all the women waiting who have who have experienced this you know in some form yeah yeah so I think it's quite wow. like well it's not the same story but it's just like Vanessa Springora that I talked about she wrote The Consent uh, yes. who's the story on also how she's been abused when she was a teenager by That's this right. famous author yes um it's kind of a story where it's personal but it needs to be shared and shared and acknowledged and it's like I know and I think a lot of women can uh, really identify and apply to this type of abuse. Yes, uh, definitely. That extend in so many ways. Yeah, it, it makes me think a little bit as well. Another book that we've spoken about, um, not exactly the same, but Chanel Miller's uh, Know My Name, which talks a lot Yay. more, you know, which talks a lot more about the kind of judicial um, side to uh, rape, sexual assault. Um, but it, it, but it's ultimately the same thing. It's about, a, you know, women being more than just victims of... Um, mistreatment by men like sexual mistreatment yeah. by men and, and abuse it's of definitely power. yeah i think it's also <sighs> just uh, a need for recognition for legitimacy so yeah and i imagine in some uh, in some way kind of finding peace with the situation i imagine for Eve exactly Ensler, oh it's a way of surviving you know, form of therapy yeah getting through it just um a question were her and her father estranged for some time before his death or was there still contact or is it not mentioned so no there wasn't contact for the last right. years uh but since like i think it was until she was 30 31 years old she mm. was still in contact and then she right. shut she shut it down wow. and there, i think there's been a few contacts there and there but yes nothing much you know yeah sure um yeah Oof. I think that's something. Sorry, else. it wasn't that no. much of a happy topic, but oh, I think no, no, it's no, necessary. No. no, no, yeah, definitely. Sorry, I wasn't kind of going like, oof, thanks, Kimmy. It was more <laughs> just, um, yeah, wow. I was just thinking of like also the process of grieving someone who you've been estranged from and who has done terrible things mm -hmm. to you. It's just, it's, you know, that's also, it's a, it puts a lot of work basically on on the the I don't want to use the word victims but the recipients on, on, on the people shoulder like yeah yeah there's always so much work to do Crazy. you know yeah it's it's a lot um okay well so, thanks yeah, yeah. Friend. and that has been translated from English into French hasn't it because I saw on the feed that you have the French yes. version okay exactly it was translated just this year yeah I think it was released uh last just last year as well so that was quite a yeah quick, exactly quite a quick mm -hmm. um turn around um okay what about you okay so Kimmy you know at the best of times that I am mostly a fiction person yes <laughs> of course so um I've got two fiction books to talk about today because uh, that's, that's nice really... because I've got two essays <laughs> oh perfect so yeah so we're complimenting each other but also just during this particular time I am really going to something that is more comforting perhaps um well it's not necessarily comforting but just where I can kind of be distracted by the Evade, storytelling yeah. you know what I mean um mm -hmm. So the first book I'm going to talk about is a recent release. It came out uh, last month. It's called The Mercies and it's by Kieran Millwood Hargrave. And this is actually her first book for adults. She's, she's a predominantly a children's author. 
So mm-hmm. I was, I, and I, I hadn't been aware of her children's books at all. So I'm going to go off and discover those after. But um, so it's the Mercies is historical fiction. So it's actually inspired by true life events that happened um, on Vardo. There was a storm in 1617. So this is a very long time ago. And so mm-hmm. what the author does is she retells the story of the widows on this very remote, small, poor Norwegian island who actually became the victims of a witch hunt. So um, basically, this in the book, this storm happens on Christmas Eve. The men are all out in the fishing boats and all of them die. Their bodies wash upon the shore. And so these women, the, the wives, the daughters, the mothers, you know, these women who are left um, in order to survive, they, they keep obviously all the domestic duties that they had at the time. Um, but then they also had to, you know, fish, like they had to get meat, they had to learn how to survive, basically, and to feed themselves. Um, and they're divided very clearly into two groups. So there's the really pious group. So these ladies who are very sanctimonious, they spend most of their time in the church praying. Um, And then you've got the really practical group who are led by this fantastic woman, uh, Kirsten, called Kirsten Sorenstetter. And she's, you know, she wears trousers. She's the first one to be like, we need to get out on fishing boats and feed ourselves and look after ourselves. So there's very two clear groups from the offset. And as the novel goes on, you can just see the cracks and the divide getting deeper and deeper between the two. Just to give you some idea of the historical background. So at this time, the Norwegian king, Christian IV, introduced laws against witchcraft, which were directly modelled on those that came from Scotland, King James VI. So in Norway, the original target was the indigenous Sami community, um, who mostly lived in the north. But what ultimately happened was that hundreds of Norwegian women were also um, executed in the name of witchcraft. Wow. Yeah. So we have this character, John Cunningham, who is based on a a, a real a real namesake, um, who is brought from Scotland into this tiny island of Vordo. And, um, you know, he's yeah, he's just he's going where the devil is whispering in the women's ears. Um, he oversees like 52 trials and really plays a huge part in extending the um the executions to the wider uh, community of women um <clears throat> we have two narrators our first narrator is Marin so Marin lives on the island she lives on Vardo she loses her father her brother and her fiance in the storm Marin's really nice she's great uh, she's in Kristen's uh, Kirsten's uh, team she's the practical survivor um, and then we we also have a second narrator who comes in a bit later, and she's called Ursula, um, and Ursula comes from Bergen, so she's more genteel, she's more privileged, mm-hmm. um, but she's totally impractical, and she's actually the young wife of this John Cunningham who comes from Scotland to exert his power um, against witchcraft. 
So um, their friendship is really, really beautiful. And I don't want to give everything away, but it actually deepens as the, as the novel goes on and turns into something quite different. Ooh. So that, I thought that was really, really beautifully done as well. Um, I really loved the book. Um, something that kind of crept up on me slowly as I was reading, because it is a real slow burner of a novel. Um, it gives a really rich sense of the time period in which is, it's set. So you, you have really great, strong characters, um, but it's not just about them. Um, there's also great kind of insights into the work that these women do, the relationships they have with each other, the, the natural landscape of where they live, how they live. Um, even like the clothes they wear, like all the materials they use to go about their day. It's so very, does very it rich. sound real? Oh, sorry. No. Um, is it realistic in terms of um, telling the story of witchcraft it's and very... numbers and like the reality of them being? Well, it is. Uh, yeah, I think it is actually. There's there's no plot surprises. You you know exactly where the novel is going from the beginning. Okay. But but the author really commits and is very like there's real purpose to the way that she writes. Um, so it feels, I think that's, it just, I could, the only way I can describe it, describe it is that I really became absorbed in the pages. You feel like you're almost there standing next to these women, watching them do talk, like go, go about their lives. It's, Great. it's very real. Um, just to finish, I think even though it's, it's you know it's in the 1600s um what's quite upsetting or frustrating to realize is that there's one thing that remains really modern and that is the behavior of men in power yeah. and their ability to twist reality to manipulate reason in order to kind of keep their power at any cost the problem of using historical facts is like <laughs> yeah exactly you just trace how far back this has gone and kind of like you know then and now women generally speaking are more preferable if they appear weaker or subservient so any sign of a woman's strength is twisted you know it's suspicious it's undesirable it's dark magic you know it's witchcraft mm -mm. it's foreign um and you know the more a woman survives the more dangerous she must be i mean i think most of us are aware of the 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 frankly ridiculous tests that they came up which are, uh, are recounted in the book of how yeah. they tested like putting women in water to see if they floated or drowned you know and if they floated they were a witch what i mean you know so it's, it's actually quite interesting because looking at the historical facts it's actually a really good illustration of how it's the patriarchal fear that actually is unreasonable and is often tantamount to hysteria which is often what women are accused of yeah um, of and i feel like there's such little um literature about which uh that was actually written by women or done in the right way that was not like that was trying to dem demystify it well, you read my you read my mind, Camille, because I was just going to finish by saying that <laughs> <laughs> the Mercies joins a, a recent growing canon of women writing about um, either witch kind of witchcraft, sorcery, um, 
not uh, also particularly from a Scandinavian point of view. I mean, I think a lot of us know about uh, the Salem trials, which are like which Arthur Miller wrote about in the Crucible, like one of the most kind of biggest trials of witchcraft yeah it was mm -hmm. in the u.s so there's yes. i'm gonna pop in the show notes some recent literature by women um that looks at the kind of scandinavian um perspective and, and also at the same time talks about gender um roles and sexuality as well so yeah it does seem to be i don't want to say trend but it seems to be there is a desire for this type of literature yeah um, i think it's and i think that's also, brilliant and also i wonder uh, but it might be for this reason that there's been a few essays recently recently mm. that have been published in the last few years on witches on the problematic of their invisibility on yeah. giving numbers and giving mm. the reality of what they have to endure and I think it probably also opened a gate of wow we didn't talk about all these women it's crazy when when I read uh witches I think it was the one by Mona Cholet yes I realized wow in history class and in everything oh, I, yeah. I've read before never was mentioned the story of like centuries of um killing yeah women. persecution yeah yeah persecution yeah oh wow so, okay yeah. wow i think from an intersectional feminist as, uh, intersectional feminist perspective as well there's probably a lot of um there's a very rich landscape um, mm -hmm. to explore because you know witchcraft will look very different in different communities fantastic book if you're looking for some fiction um yeah brilliant brilliant Cool, cool. Thank you, friend. Yeah, That's a nice course. one. <clears throat> How about you? Um, so my second book is an essay. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's not translated into English. Uh, and it's written by a guy. So I'm like uh -huh. crossing all the rules. <laughs> but it was amazing. So okay. I, I think I need to share it. Um, I didn't post it, I think, on our IG uh, page but it's written by Peter Gelder-Luz and it's called How Does Nonviolence Protect the State? So it's an essay on the inefficiency of our social movements. Okay. So Ooh. why do I talk about that? Because it is brilliant. It is very, very, very much thoughtful. Yeah. And so it's organized in, in uh, a few chapters. Right. So I'm just going to tell you the, the titles because it's going to give you an idea of what it's about. So the title talks about itself, but the chapters are basically how nonviolence is non uh, like inefficient. Inefficient? Yeah, inefficient. How nonviolence is racist. How nonviolence is a uh, statist. Okay. How it is patriarchal. Mm. How it is, well, how it sucks. So um, he wants to explain uh, violence, non-violence, anarchy between the state and its people. So he, all throughout the essay, he examines, examines? Examines, uh, you got it right. Examines uh, the, useful, the usefulness of uh, non-violence for colonialism and repression, ah. as well as the takeover of liberal movements. So he also studies the, um, the paternalism and yeah. the, the racism of the white progressives who use, um, who like use nonviolence to control the movements yeah. of people of color, for example. Yeah. 
telling um, like the white colonialist mm -hmm. telling the the black person no just behave and just be calm and, and maybe we'll listen to what you want exactly yeah. um, so there's also so like in the chapter of nonviolence is status uh, he examines the the Oh, it's a lot of difficult words for me to say in English, but the authoritarianism. Yeah, auth yeah, great. Um, of nonviolent practice, as well as how nonviolence has met the needs of the states mm. to pacify and recover from social struggles. Yeah, and as so, like as a result, the government and the media encourage nonviolence. So we see in the feminist movements, in the environment movements, in the gilet jaune movements, mm -hmm. how um, the government the government tries to encourage nonviolence and how it is not um, efficient. Mm -hmm. So I and I just wanted to do a little um, speech about the chapter four who is focused on how is the nonviolence patriarchist. Mm -hmm. So basically, he analyzes the patriarchal aspects of nonviolence, like the imperative of the patriarchal society to, pac to pacify the oppressed person, so mm -hmm. like the women, yeah. and like women and trans and all types yeah, of all kind community. of marginalized, vulnerable communities. Yeah, exactly. And he gives a space to tell the story and revolts uh, that were violent and were organized by trans people, queer, uh, queer people, women, in order to counter the silence of uh, their reality. Yeah. So it's yeah. really brilliant because it really explains how um, the patriarchal system is violent mm. and how our answer as women can't be just pacifists. Uh, because it would right. be just denying the state of violence, you know? Right. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense and sounds really fascinating. It is so fascinating. And to... you read things and you're just like, oh, yes, of course. But it wasn't, like, written on paper before. So you can just really see things this way, you know? Yes. It's that kind of essay where you're just like, thank for this person to write it because we all think about that but not in such an organized way. So it just might blow, blows your mind as you finish it, right. as, as you finish it, because you're just like, wow, okay, we're just completely fucked. And it gives like clear examples of where the state has used violence against us. Right. And uh, when also it, it shuts us down when we try to protect ourselves. Like for example, it says, well, nonviolence implicates that it is not okay for women to fight back against their oppressor mm -hmm. um, that you better be raped and victimized than to defend and kill you rapists right. um, and that pacifism is just completely disconnected from real real like real daily life yeah. of women of people of color of everyone that is not white and privileged mm. and and male mm, and and, and i think this is the whole problem of our, our political system and not just like our system is that Everything is in the end of the dominant uh, ones, yeah. and so it is. So is it disconnected from real life because they don't know what real life is about. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Sorry, wow. it's a bit dense, but it was. No, no, no. Great. I think it's. I mean, it. It kind of. Um, I have the impression it would have the kind of effect that reading something like Reniedo Lodges. Uh, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race would have um, in the sense where like like you've just said you read a lot of things that you'd 
kind of half formulated or you were aware of or you felt in your head yeah um but you actually get concrete examples you just get a bit more of a rounded um view of the situation so that you can learn where you stand like what do you agree with what do you disagree with kind of thing and I think exactly Renny Edo-Lodge's big thing in her book was you know when she called out all those people who said but I don't see, like, I'm colorblind when it comes to the color of someone's skin. Well, yeah. that's useless. That's, You're you know, ig- refusing to acknowledge a problem that exists. And, yeah. So, fascinating. So, yeah, recommending it. Uh, so, yeah. I just check right now. And he's American, so I'm saying bullshit. It's probably being written in English <laughs> and then translated. I don't know. I don't know. And the preface okay. is, is done also by a great author. And, like, both of these guys are good feminist good person i you can you can trust their words okay fantastic i will find well i'll find um i'll I'll find the book and i'll verify in the show notes we can put it in french um in english so yeah cool thanks friend um so my second book i think i may have already spoken to you about this because i read it like late january early February and I just kind of told all of my friends about it it's called If I Had Your Face by Francis Char oh um, yeah. yeah is it ringing a bell it's so Francis Char is um Korean well she, actually I, I, I had the opportunity to chat with her last month um for a, an author interview that I'm right I'm currently writing up about the book because this is her debut novel um she she has lived in Seoul at certain points of her life during education. Both her parents are Korean, so she describes herself as Korean-Korean. She does live in America at the moment. And before writing her book, she was um, a travel um, editor at CNN. So she was writing a lot about um, her home country from, from a kind of travel journalism point of view. Um, so If I Had Your Face, fiction, debut novel set mostly in Seoul, uh, South Korea. And it's told from four different narrators. So we have four women um, who are young. They're young women and they all uh, live in the same apartment block. Um, And it's basically throughout the novel how their lives intersect and and how they kind of come, come together. Um, it's set in the current day. Um, so we have our four, four narrators are Ara, who is mute. Uh, she lives with a girl called Sujin, who wants to become a room salon girl, which is basically like um, being a call girl. Um, Ara works in the salon as a stylist. She's a K-pop fan, um, which is obviously like a huge uh, thing over there. Um then there's Kiaru, who is a room salon girl. She has had multiple plastic surgeries. She works in, she's considered very pretty. She is in one of the, what they call the top 10 room salon girls, which means that she's like one of the most attractive. Um, she comes across as quite cold. Uh, you can tell that she drinks a lot to like numb her emotions about the job that she's doing. Um, she does at first come across as quite shallow, like she has a fear of being ugly um, and she doesn't seem to have a lot of time for people that she considers ugly or old. 
Um, then we have Wana, who's a little bit older. She's in her 30s. She's married. She's pregnant. There's been a lot of mental health in the women of her family. She grew mm -hmm. up with her grandmother, who was very cruel, very abusive. And then finally, we have Miho, who is an artist. So she's really creative. She comes from quite a poor background and she has a rich boyfriend now. Um, she also has some dealings with mental illness um, and suicide. One of her best friends on her study program um, actually killed herself. So it really covers a lot of ground. Um, and it was really interesting to see, to hear of the other characters via like to hear of characters via other characters because it was often quite different from how the 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 woman was narrating herself you'd get one idea mm. of who she was and then you'd hear about her in another narrator's story and it really kind of caused oh, you I to like question. yeah it was really kind of like ooh, we are also complex oh. we are also layered it's kind of like Crimson. I don't remember oh, this book. Yes, yes, it is. A great book, Crimson, Greenlandic author. Yes, it is very similar from that from that respect. Cool. Okay. Yes. Love that format. Yeah, so it's really good. Um there's not much queerness in this though. Um it's really kind of um it's a, a, a look at kind of modern Korea, how that can be still quite traditional, um, obsession with beauty and looks, with wealth and privilege and status. Um, there's a lot of pain in these women's lives. There's a lot of enduring. Um, there's, you know, some violence. Um, it, I just found it fascinating. I, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved getting a perspective of um, Asian women, how feminism works there. It's one of those, you know, it's not directly feminist, uh, but but it is, you know, like you don't have to label something feminist for it to be feminist. And mm -hmm. I just love discovering all these women's stories, how they came together, how, you know, unsurprisingly, a lot of the their elders or the men in their lives kind of have let them down. Um, and how they all come together, like the, the ending is, is really beautiful um, and stayed with me for a really long time about mm. kind of creating your own family. Um, it was very, very touching. Well, that's quite queer, friend. Yes, well, yes, that's true. Sorry. I was talking about queer from, because Crimson is very much about people coming out uh, right, right, or, right. Yeah. or, you know, being very uh, gay and lesbian and, and assuming the identity and the lifestyle that comes with it. So sorry, just to precise, I was talking, um, yeah, about sexuality when I said, oh, it's not that queer. But yes, definitely in terms of like um, that other queerness that we talk about. Right. Uh, yeah, there is that. And yeah, I mean, again, I, I can't go into much detail with this one because I don't want to give uh, things away, but it's coming out in April, I believe. Um, and yeah, just fascinate, sharp, insightful, great. And I think, you know, Korea uh, is, uh, there's a lot of literature coming out of Korea, a lot of translated into English. It's really having a moment or they're republishing um, the film Parasite, you know, won Oscar for best foreign film. Loved it. Like, yo, yeah, a uh, great film. Um, so it really feels like Korea's having a moment within the arts. And um, if I had your, if I had your face, was really 
is really a part of that and I'm so excited to see people's response to it. I'm really hoping that it does well, but I, I think it will. And she, she's absolutely lovely, um, having spoken to her. She, she's just really insightful and thoughtful and sensitive and very respectful as well of her culture. So she gave me a couple of um, reading recommendations by some fellow Korean-Korean or Korean-American authors, which I'll be sure to pop in um, the show notes. Amazing. So, yeah. So that's it. Um, I am going to go off and play some piano now, I think. What are you you going to do, friend? I wish I could just say the same, but first, I'm such a bad bad student at piano. Second, uh, I have to work a little bit um, for the magazine. And then I'll just chill out a little bit because first day of period isn't the best. (laughs) Oh, yeah. For anyone who's listening, just stay safe, stay comfortable, stay healthy, reach out if you need anything, book recommendations, a quick chat, and Camille and I will be back um, soon, soon. hopefully with a guest episode. Obviously, everyone is just trying to adapt in this new landscape, but uh, in the meantime, yeah, follow us on Instagram at the FBC Paris, um, and then also our website www.thefpcferris.com <laughs> Okay, bye everyone. Bye.